Put in those headphones and lace up those running shoes because you are listening to The Fifth Sign. This podcast is presented by Exercises Medicine UBC. Here are your hosts, Kyle Boyle and Reed Mitchell. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Fifth Sign, the podcast where we discuss exercise as a vital sign of health. Today, there's going to be a slight change in the program as we introduce our new series, Over the Counter. You see, the term exercise prescription is a great one and is used as a reference to physicians and other healthcare professionals incorporating a movement practice into treatment plans. It's even the motivation for the Fifth Sign logo, and I promise I actually have no quip with the term. But you see, the benefits of exercise and health should be readily available to everyone. It should be over the counter. You see, movement matters to everyone. It matters to me. It matters to her. It matters to him, us, to them, to you, to everyone. But despite this, barriers still exist for some individuals, although many people and organizations are striving to break these barriers down. And these are the people that we want to talk to here at The Fifth Sign in our new series, Over the Counter, Movement Matters. Uh, This is what we actually think is important. And so inclusion in sport and physical activity is what we're going to be focusing on in this new series. I would like to introduce my co-host for today. Melissa, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So this new series sort of came out of a conversation you and I had just randomly. Can you, can you talk about your uh, passion for inclusion in sport and physical activity? Yeah, it was actually uh, something that we kind of started thinking about after our last podcast together and how it's so easy to, to just tell people, well, just get out of your chair and go for a walk. And obviously that's not as easy as it sounds for a lot of people. And so uh, it's something that I think has been through a lot of work that I've had involved in student services. It's something you're always kind of aware of, being as inclusive as you can. And uh, my understanding of what that means has really grown over the last few years. And so we started talking, and uh, I I was just thinking of all these different uh, groups of people who might be really interesting to talk to. So, yeah, so that kind of led to this idea. Absolutely. And today we have our first guest, Dr. Stephanie Joel from the Canucks Autism Network. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. So why don't you touch on maybe your current role, what you do for the Canucks Autism Network, and and maybe some past education, how you got to where you are. Sure. So I'm the VP of Programs and Training here at the Canucks Autism Network. Uh, what does that mean? That means that I <laughs> oversee a team of staff and uh, in kind of two core areas. So one is uh, delivering what we like to think of as first involvement experiences for kids and youth with autism, meaning that they're uh, introductory programs meant to build physical literacy on a variety of surfaces, so in the water, swimming, on the ice, skating, and on the land. Those are our physical literacy programs. And in addition to that, we also have a pretty significant and rapidly growing training arm. Uh, And the intention of that is to help build capacity in the sport and recreation sector uh, to support anyone who wants to include children and youth with autism in their programming, which I'm happy to say is a very rapidly growing number of people who are incredibly interested. So... Um, yeah, very exciting work. That's so cool because that helps make sure that it's not all you guys offering the programming. You can use the programs that are already available and train them. And so that's re- that's really awesome. Totally. Because uh, it, as much as I, I do believe in the value of what we offer, because we have a lot of kids who unfortunately haven't had the best experience in sure. uh, sport recreation. Mm-hmm. So uh, we kind of give them that super supported place doesn't matter what your behavioral challenges are communication ability anything uh you can come and participate build some confidence sometimes it's about helping the families build confidence again too so seeing that their kids actually can participate in sport and physical activity um 
but you know, I, I think at the end of the day, one of our core value is as many choices as possible for as many people as possible. So come and access a CAN program, but you know, if you want to play lacrosse, that's not a program that CAN offers. Uh, and we'd like you to be able to play lacrosse too. So we're definitely going to try to do anything we can to support, you know, theoretically lacrosse BC to include yep. kids with autism in their programs. And also we operate in major urban centers. So we're always very mindful of that kid who lives in Nelson or Fort St. John and what are they doing to get active. I love that. And I can't wait to dive into more of the specifics of what you guys are doing here. Um, but I just want to get your general thoughts on the importance of physical activity um, in life and especially in childhood. Yeah, super important. <laughs> One thing I like to say in workshops that I teach in the community is uh, when you talk to kids and you say like, oh, like, tell me a little bit about you, right? Often kids will say things like, I'm a, I, I'm a dancer or I'm a hockey player or I love to do art. Um, and I realize art isn't a physical activity, but, uh, <laughs> I think sometimes, um, there are obvious reasons why children should be <laughs> engaging in physical activity from a health perspective. Um, not just physical health, but also emotional health, social health. Um, but I think a piece people maybe don't think as much about is just the identity that kids build around part- participating in sport and recreation and, uh, how not having those opportunities can really, um, you know, kids really notice. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and conversely, when they do have that activity, they can really be proud of it. So I, I'm a hockey player or, oh yeah, I'm a really good swimmer. Um, so we just want to, you know, let kids have confidence, not just from a physical health perspective, but also kind of from a social emotional health perspective too. That's really great. So how did you end up in this role? What's your background and how did you, how did you end up working with Ken? Yeah, always a funny question for me because it's like one of these like follow your nose in life <laughs> stories. So I started, uh, when I did my undergrad, I thought I was going to be a school psychologist. Mm-hmm. So I had a bunch of experience with kids with all kinds of labels. Um, and then literally one summer was like, oh, I've never like autism. I keep hearing about autism. I should work with kids with autism. So I signed up to do a day camp and did that for three years in a row and uh, was the assistant director the year I left. And then uh, literally, so then I finished my undergrad and I literally Googled master's autism because I just <laughs> like loved working with kids yep. with autism and saw that UBC had a master's program focused on autism. So I came out, moved out here and uh, did a lot of work with kids with autism in, in homes and in schools. And uh long story, got into my PhD and decided I really wanted to do a project around sport and recreation because I was seeing that, you know, in the world of autism, there's tons of great stuff in terms of early intervention and yada, yada. But where's the quality of life research? Um, And also, I've always been a big fan of not promoting an expert model. So I don't think people need to feel like they need to have a master's degree to support kids with autism. (laughs) And yet so much of any research I found in that time, when I Googled, for example, sport or swimming or that kind of thing. It was all like a master's student teaching a kid with autism to swim. I thought, yeah, if you're a master's student, you should be able to do that. (laughs) But what about the people who actually teach swimming in communities? Mm -hmm. So that was my PhD um, study. I taught swimming instructors in North Vancouver to teach kids with autism and really loved that. And then, uh, yeah, when that kind of wrapped up, I happened to know the now CEO at CAN and I just kind of reached out and was like, you guys are doing cool work. Like you've ever want someone to come and have a look at the programs and she just kind of looped me in. And then all of a sudden I was working here full time. It just happened. Um, but I love it. It is literally a dream job. So, so we've been talking a little bit about autism. Can you tell me what autism spectrum disorder is? 
Yeah, good question. So um, autism spectrum disorder, it's, you know, people change the terms they used to describe it all the time, sure. honestly. But I like to tell people it's like a neurodevelopmental quote-unquote disorder. Um, and I use quote-unquote because... The word, dis- the word disorder is very loaded, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing we know about folks on the autism spectrum is that they definitely have, just like all of us, they have their strengths and then they have their areas of challenge. But someone comes to receiving an autism diagnosis because they present with challenges in basically three areas. So something around communication, something around sort of social interaction, and something around behavior. Um, and, you know, folks with autism, some speak fluently and others don't use words. Um, so there is the word, that word spectrum really represents, uh, you know, the diversity that you should expect to see. But at its core, autism is really around how you interact and move in the social world. So um, helping kids uh, learn how to make friends and really interesting to see that as people develop in towards adulthood, helping folks be able to navigate things like employment, for example, and of course, recreation too. Yeah. <laughs> so those social challenges uh, are really at the core of autism. That's really cool. And so I imagine being a spectrum disorder, obviously there's huge heterogeneity mm-hmm. in this. So how does can how is CAN able to work with that? It must You must get huge differences in the kids that come to your programming. Yeah, we do. And it's interesting because a lot of people have a preconceived notion of who we work with, mm-hmm. either like in, in totally opposite ways. So either my kid has too many challenges, they could never come to a CAN program, mm-hmm. or my child is very, you know, capable, whatever word you want to use, I don't think he would fit in in a CAN program. So <laughs> we do see the full gamut. But um, the truth is, one of the reasons we're able to work with the whole spectrum is just because we have a lot of people Mm -hmm. and so we have a lot of staff and volunteers who work within our programs and they're able to be quite flexible about how the program is delivered and I think that that is really what allows us to do that so if we have some kids who are ready you know for a bit more challenge we can kind of do that with those kids and then if we have some kids who aren't even ready to walk into the gym yet we have enough people there that we can kind of ease them in slowly too. Awesome. So what does the Canucks Autism Network do in the community? Our our mission is to deliver year-round sport and recreation programs. Um, And we do that in our current five-year strategic plan. We've identified urban areas around the province where we do that. The second half of our mission statement is to build capacity. So that really speaks to the training that we do. And I should mention that we do training not just in the sport recreation community, although that is the bulk of the training we do. We also have training we've developed for first responders. We have training we've developed for um, teachers and, and special education assistants. And we are we have a growing program that looks at any community organization or business that wants to kind of think about accessibility with an autism lens. So, yeah, lots of training, too. That's really cool. So uh, maybe getting into some of the research side of things. So we know that uh, children with autism tend to be less physically active, mm-hmm. and so they may have higher rates of obesity and cardiovascular disease. What are some of the consequences for these kids of that more sedentary lifestyle that you've seen? Yeah. Um, you know, those are the kids we don't actually see. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that you use the word that you've seen. Um, I actually think that in a lot of the interactions and conversations that I have, um, the piece that I most end up talking about with people are the risks for mental health with not being involved in physical activity and sport. And um, 
you know, like there, there's lots of research out there just sort of showing how just being active in general can promote resilience against those types of things. Um, and I think that people often sort of go, oh, that applies for autism too. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, of course it does, right? Like we're sort of catching up in that way, I think, with the research actually. Um, we don't have excellent data mm-hmm. on um, uh, kind of involvement and activity and outcomes. There's a big project right now going on across the country called the Canadian Disability Participation Project. You guys may be aware of that. Um, with some excellent researchers on it. It tends to have a bit more of a physical disability lean right now, but they are definitely, they have a broader scope than that. Um, but yeah, actually the 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 data and the, um, the studies and the kind of conversations that are really most prevalent right now are around that mental health piece and particularly youth into adulthood. And uh, what we're seeing is, again, not just kind of, okay, people are physically inactive and now they're developing anxiety. And we know that if we could get them physically active, that could help with some of that. Mm. But also they are not connected in their community. And that is actually a big piece and a huge risk for folks on the autism spectrum um, is because they have challenges in social interaction. Uh, If we can't get them connected in the community, they often fall into isolation. And that's where we land on things like anxiety and depression. So uh, one thing we know about sport and recreation is that it's all the physical health benefits, but then it's also that sense of somewhere to go, people who know you, all those types of things that can be so protective as well. So so would you say this uh, social interaction is one of the biggest barriers to getting into sports and recreation programs for individuals and families with autism? Yeah, I, I think at a young age, lots of kids who have autism present with some behavioral challenges. Um, and, you know, uh, the other thing about autism is you can have autism and, and an attention challenge. You can have autism and anxiety. So um, some, you know, kids will show up in kind of your typical community sport program where you have a very high ratio. So you have, say, one coach working with 15 kids or 20 kids or, or whatever. And the kid just has a really hard time coping with that ratio because they need a little bit more direction. They need a little bit more support and encouragement. Um, and then they're, they're dropping out. So it's not necessarily that, oh, they don't, you know, they're having a hard time making friends. That's not necessarily the primary barrier. Often it's just they have a hard time kind of coping in a big ratio, following along. Um, they do have challenges interacting socially. And you might see some behavior problems as a result. Not, that's, not, that's always not the first thing, right? It's mm-hmm. because they're not able to follow along, because they're being asked to wait in an unstructured environment, all those types of things. That's often where kids have a tough time. Sure. Um, This is actually totally off the top of my head and maybe something we can uh, cut out if it goes nowhere, but I know. um, Is there ever uh, an issue as well with, like, the tactile, like, the need to put on safety pads and all that kind of stuff as well? I just, having worked with other kids in the past who aren't necessarily, don't necessarily have autism, but... Uh, I just know they've had an issue with having to wear a cup or, or you know, yeah. those kinds of things. So, oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And we see that all the time. Yeah. So whether it's putting a helmet on before going skating or riding your bike or, um, you know, putting hockey gear on. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that, a lot of kids can do pretty well with kind of repeated exposure and sort of desensitization to that. But the other piece is, um, I'm glad you brought that up, like the sort of sensory environment in general. Mm-hmm. So um, lots of folks on the autism spectrum have either like a hypersensitivity or a hyposensitivity mm-hmm. to aspects of the sensory environment. So for example, walking to a pool and it's really crowded and it's really echoey and the lights are weird, um, that adds to those, you know, that, that can present as an attention challenge because the child is so overwhelmed by what's 
uh, by what's happening. So that can definitely be a barrier or, or can create a challenge for, for kids too. How does, uh, I know there's uh, lots and lots of things. Uh, I have been involved with CAN for, for quite a while, so I know some of these some of these answers, but I wanted you just to touch on um, how CAN goes about adapting some of their programs. Yeah. So uh, just some pretty simple things, and it's really interesting because in our training arm, we're kind of trying to now almost formalize this, right, so that we can pass it along to other groups who want to support kids. Simple things like uh, really structured <laughs> uh, routines. So... Uh, things where kids just really become familiar that the practice is going to start and then we're going to go through what we're going to do that day and then we go off and do our first activity. We really encourage coaches to use a station-based format so that there's really limited wait times um, and that kids can access a skill at their own sort of readiness in terms of the challenge level. Um, and then we all come back together and then we go do another one and then we all come back together and then we go do another one. They all come back together and we cheer and we go home. Right. So it's very, and that routine actually holds true in every program that we do, whether it's mm-hmm. hockey or skating or swim. So that routine is very helpful for kids. Um, the use of visual supports is incredibly important for some kids that we, uh, that we support in programs, anything from just a simple, here's a list of the drills we're going to do in hockey today to for younger kids, maybe a picture schedule of some of the things we're going to do in our swimming class today. So, uh, visual sports, very important. I think, uh, a big one that allows kids to be successful is just adjusting the pace. So we do have kids who come in and for sensory reasons or other, they're not ready to jump in and do the first mm-hmm. drill two minutes in. They really need some time to just kind of ease in, build rapport, um, feel kind of ready to go in the envir- this new environment that they're in. So those types of uh, accommodations are important too. That's cool. Um, how do, You mentioned supporting families as well. What mm-hmm. does CAN do to support families and maybe the experiences that they've been dealing with? Yeah. It, it, you know, I can't imagine it's always easy. And so how do they? how do you support parents and siblings as well yeah good question so um i'm not sure when they first made the name of the organization i wasn't involved but i'm not mm-hmm. sure if the use of the word network was super intentional but mm-hmm. i think it has become a word that we really um it, we use that word to kind of guide us in what we do so we think of ourselves as creating networks so networks for the kids to feel included with their peers but also networks for families to feel like okay, there's other families out there who get what we're, what's happening for us. Um, so we run a lot of family events all around the province um, with the intention of, again, just bringing families together to realize they're not alone and what, mm-hmm. uh, what their lives are like. Um, yeah, that's a big one. And then I think even just the experience for uh, families to be able to go into swimming and, like, give their kid to the teacher <laughs> and then sit together on the deck. Yep. A lot of parents will say, we've never been able to do that before. Like we always have to go with him and stand next to her or whatever. Um, so that experience of actually being able to give the child over to someone is, is great because then the families can just have this kind of really informal respite as well. Mm-hmm. And you talk about a lot of the training that Connects Autism Network does. And I was just mm-hmm. wondering if you could touch on uh, what type of organizations do you typically mm-hmm. have coming to you asking for a specific training? Yeah, so the bulk of our sport recreation training is municipal recreation centers. So uh, people who want their day camp staff trained, who want their swimming instructors trained, skating instructors. Um, We also have a growing number of sport clubs, so uh, soccer clubs. um, We've worked with a couple of provincial sports organizations who wanted to do training. So, for example, we've worked with Tennis BC and Canoe Kayak BC and... Curl BC, we have an event next weekend with Cycling BC. So more and more groups who are kind of 
you know, the kids are showing up, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're turning up and coaches are kind of, they want, they want the kids to succeed. So we're trying to just provide them with some tools. Um, a couple of really neat projects that I'll just plug because I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, we have a partnership with BC Parks and Recreation and this fall we're launching an online module that we've co-created with them and an advisory group of recreation professionals and parents and others. So that'll be online and free for any recreation people around the whole province to access one hour module. That'd be cool. And uh, just yesterday I was in meetings. um, So Jumpstart is investing Mm -hmm. a significant amount of money in disability uh, sport. And we are building an online module with them as well that will have nationwide reach. So, um, and that one will kind of target sport coaches, but also any kind of activity leader that's working with kids. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like I've attended the sport for life conference for three years now. And the first year, like literally I kind of follow people around and be like, Hey, (laughs) right. And then the second year I presented and definitely sort of a few people kind of now talking interested. And then the third year, I mean, now we have people coming to us and, um, asking for help and things. So it's really, it's really neat to see the, the wave right now in terms of inclusion in sport recreation. That's really cool. I was thinking as you were talking about the, the structure and the, you know, giving lots of structure to the programming that probably children generally could benefit from that. So maybe you can kind of touch on why should coaches and organizations want to include children with autism in their programming? It seems like a really obvious question, but I'd just love to get your answer on like why, why they should reach out to you guys and and get this training. Why is it important? Mm -hmm. I'm going to part A, part B your question. So part A, you're bang on right. Like every strategy that we teach is absolutely universally applicable. In fact, if you understand the principles of universal design as they apply to education or even architecture, they also apply to sport coaching. So the idea is plan your practices in a way that you catch everyone. Mm -hmm. So instead of thinking, okay, here's this kid and how do I adapt for this kid? And here's this kid and how do I adapt for this kid? Think, how do I I plan my practice so that I catch all kids? Mm -hmm. Um, And the module we're building with Jumpstart in particular is it's not going to have the word disability in it. It's not going to have the word autism in it. It's just going to be kind of positive coaching environments. And we're going to give coaches 10 simple things they can do we know it'll help kids with autism. We also know it'll help all kids, right? So why include kids with autism? Well, I think people are slowly kind of coming around to the fact that there's lots of kids with autism, number one. So the BC stat is like one in 57. The Canada-wide stat is one in 66. Kids are turning up. So whether kind of people are ready or not, they're showing up. Um, Lots of kids with autism with kind of, again, that sort of universal approach can be fairly simply included. Um, The conversation I have a lot is think about training, but also think about that practical on the ground reality. So if you're a day camp leader and you have 20 kids and one might melt down or run off the field at any moment, how can you get a second set of hands? Like you might actually need a second set of hands. It's okay to say that, right? And have that conversation. Um, So who can you partner with? How can you find volunteers? How can you... So. Yeah, so um, we just know the benefits for having kids with autism included are just the same as they are for any other kid. But because of that social piece in autism, almost particularly important that they get connected to some community activity and feel that sense of belonging um, to really, you know, foster that physical and mental health as well. Do you often see a lot of individuals within CAN programs move on to community programs? Yeah, more and more, which I'm so pleased about. <laughs> so um, we that is really what we would like. Like if one day we didn't have to exist because all kids could start in community, that would be ideal. Um, 
we're not quite there yet. Uh, mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, but yeah, more and more. And it's really surprising me, some of the examples. So, you know, we always kind of used to think, for example, in our swim program, we offer Red Cross preschool and then level one, two, and three, and we stop at level three. Because mm-hmm. we really want, once kids are at that level, we really want them to consider pursuing swimming in the community. Uh, level three means you can swim 25 meters unassisted. So you're you're doing pretty pretty well by that point. Uh, but we deliberately chose level three because we thought, okay, now that kid is water safe, like fairly water safe, and we really want to encourage them to bridge out. Um, but, you know, an example that surprised me this year is we had, you would be aware of this, Kyle, we had two kids transition from hockey, so we have an adapted hockey program, uh, into minor hockey. And that one surprised me a lot because it's a sport that can be tricky to join late. Mm-hmm. Um so we had one guy who's like in his early teen years and another guy a little bit younger than that. It depends how you define early teen. Anyways, and they're both did great, like total success stories. And um, really the thing that made that work in both cases was just a coach with an open mind who asked good questions, uh, good collaboration between the people who had kind of coached these kids before, giving them lots of information and the parents and just open communication and uh, amazing. Uh, and I honestly, like a couple of years ago, I would have been like, I don't know, hockey's a tricky one, mm-hmm. right? Like swimming, yeah, I can see that. Skating, yeah, I can see that. Hockey for an older kid, ooh, that's going to be tough. But it's happening, right? That's so really awesome. And it's there's a difference there too between like a team sport versus more of an individual mm-hmm. sport. So that's really awesome that that's able to happen in that team dynamic as totally. well. Totally. Yeah. So there's still a lot of myths hanging around. Like, you know, kids with autism should do individual sports. Some kids with autism can do individual sports. Great. Like, <laughs> but at the end of the day, like people will say like, oh, they can never do a team sport. Or, you know, I still sometimes hear like kids with autism aren't interested in sports. I'm going, well, how, <laughs> how dare you impose that limit on them? Like, that's really not fair. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I think there's still people off. Sometimes think of autism as like kids who are very sort of like in their own world. Um, and why, you know, why would they be interested in sports? But that's clearly not the case. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know, um, I do research in schizophrenia, and so obviously the TV depiction of schizophrenia is terrible and very unlike what really yeah. happens. And I think autism is often very much the same way, where you see these, you know, brilliant kids on TV who are solving math <laughs> problems in their head, and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe just can you speak to what does autism really look like? Yeah. And you've kind of talked about what it is, but what's, you know, how is that different than what people might be thinking autism yeah. is, is like? It's funny because it used to be Rain Man that people thought, and now they think like the good doctor, yeah, right. right? So, um, yeah, my favorite quote about autism is, if you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism, yeah. right? That's Stephen Shore's quote, and it's perfect because, like, you almost... <laughs> that's, I, that's why in our training we've really moved away from, you know, f- any type of focus on label because the most important thing to think about is, who is this kid in front of you? What's it? My, the most important thing to know is, what do they like? Because that's your ticket to building rapport with them. Uh, maybe what are some things that are going to be challenging for them? What are some supports that have been helpful for them? Those types of things. So you really cannot say, you met a kid with autism, or you're going to see X, Y, Z. Like, we will talk to people about the range of things they might see, but I almost wonder how hopeful it is. <laughs> you just got to really, we really want you to take that approach of get to know them. What are some good questions to ask? That type of thing. And I think that circles back to what we were talking about, about how this training can benefit people working with all kids. Because yes. obviously, you know, one kid without autism is no more similar to another kid without autism, right? It's, yeah. And I almost, individual and 
yeah, I almost think kids with autism are in a bit of a, you know, we actually hear a lot of feedback from families who have kids who don't have autism, but have behavioral challenges, have, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of related things. And they're like, how come kids with autism get all this stuff and my kid doesn't get anything? And they actually, their kids are really similar, right? So again, the more we can move away from a conversation about this diagnosis equals these supports, I think that'll be helpful for everyone. It's very cool. Yeah, and we just yeah. touched on the before we had touched on the the new resource coming out um, in collaborating collaboration with Jumpstart. But I was mm-hmm. wondering for for individuals maybe outside of the the Can geographical area, mm-hmm. um, maybe someone in Ontario right now yep. or Manitoba who's listening. Is there any online resources yeah. currently available that they can maybe go to and check out? Yep. So if you go to the Can website, oh. CanucksAutism.ca, uh, you kind of have to dig a bit. But if you go into training and awareness. And there's a there's a tab or card there that says helpful resources. On that page, you can find uh, ten downloadable tip sheets. Mm-hmm. So we did those in collaboration with Via Sport. They're great. Um, and it's things like uh, you know communication strategies, motivation strategies, crisis management, conversation guides. Mm-hmm. Those are I think really particularly helpful. Um, so there's some good starting points. You know conversation starting points with your group. Uh, there are a couple other like kind of video resources on that site as well. Um, the most comprehensive kind of learning tool, I think, will be this fall when we release um, that module. So they're, they're promising me before Christmas. Awesome. Keep your eyes open. Can't wait. Cool. Great. Maybe before we get into the final lab, can you tell us how you stay physically active? What's your favorite way to... How do I stay physically active? Um, it's always how we start. It's how we'll finish today. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, as a kid, as a child, I was not super involved with sports. I was a very anxious kid, actually. Um, so I played a bit of baseball. That was about it. And then in high school, I had some amazing teachers who were like, you should come on and do things. So I, I was like, played rugby and field hockey, got really involved. And then I got into running. And in university, I got super into triathlon. Uh, loved that. And then I moved out to BC and just changed my whole lifestyle. And I started playing hockey. <laughs> Weird. I lived in Ontario. I didn't play there, but I started out here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Weird, eh? But, uh, and then a bunch of other sports like hiking and mm-hmm. climbing and things like that. And then I dealt with a bit of an injury playing hockey, and I'm now sort of slowly getting back into things. But I love hiking. Hiking is my absolute favorite. And I'm proud to say that I've just started commuting on my bike again. So that's go. exciting. Well, the weather's getting nice for it. So. That's part of the <laughs> that's part of the reason. So, and yeah. you played hockey. You should come out to our practices. I used come to come on. out a no, lot. Okay. The first year we ran hockey, I was out there a lot. There I go. loved it. So. <laughs> All right. So what do you say we uh, do the final lap? Sounds good. All right, it's time for the final app where we take one final app around the table to get everyone's closing thoughts. And how about we'll start with you? Yeah, so just one closing comment. I mean, when I talked about the kids who transitioned into minor hockey, um, it, it, like this, this change can happen with one, with starting with one person, right? Like I think sometimes people feel really overwhelmed and they're like, oh gosh, I don't know. What does my organization think about this? And da, 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 da. Um, but those, those coaches it really just was about attitude. It wasn't about any special skill set that they had. They're not like superheroes. It's just kind of like, yeah, okay, let's try it. Let's go for it. You know, and if people can kind of adopt that, let's go for it attitude and let's have open conversations about what we need. Um, I think that's, that's what's really going to help lots more kids be effectively included. Melissa. Yeah. Awesome. I, uh, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for starting our inclusivity, uh, Thing off with the bang. I'm really excited about this. It's been a great conversation. I, it's, I'm really excited to say that it's a conversation I get to have a lot now. Awesome. So lots of groups reaching out. Um, 
Yeah, there just seems to be this growing sort of understanding that the world is diverse and mm-hmm. um, we can't, unfortunately, we've, there's a great analogy that um, Shelley Moore, so she's a consultant and she works in inclusive education. She's a great analogy about bowling. And she says, um, what we've done typically in, in education, that's her example, is we aim for the middle pin mm-hmm. and we think, okay, we'll get most kids if we aim for the middle pin. Uh, but unfortunately, what happens when you aim for the middle pin is super often you have two kids on either side who you miss. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have this tough choice about which one to aim for, right? Mm-hmm. And her analogy is um, really good bowlers uh, bowl with kind of a curved shot mm-hmm. because then they know they'll hit all the pins, right? And I think if we can move people towards that understanding of how to coach and how to teach, um, we'll just hit all the pins, right? And it's not about autism. It's it's about, like, again, almost that universal design concept as applied to coaching, which I did a recent search just a few days ago, and I found one article, and it's a great article <laughs> on how to apply principles of universal design coaching. And uh, I think that the module we're going to build with Jumpstart is uh, just kind of really explicitly pulls out some of those kind of group management, um, behavior support type things that will really help coaches, again, shoot a, a curve line as opposed to thinking, oh, God, now i got to deal with those kids on the outside. So we want to get away from that uh, and think about how can we, you know, throw a curveball. Yeah, I think we're going to attach those resources as well to the podcast cool. link so it's easy access for everybody. Sweet. Awesome. I loved what we talked about, about uh, adaptations that you can make that will make things better for all children, not just children mm-hmm. with autism, and being able to help them feel included and just emphasizing how important that is for the social aspect and, and children's identity. I think that's so cool. You talked about that and I'm like, yeah, when I was growing up, I was totally like, oh yeah, I do this thing. And it was, it's all about the hobbies that you do when you're that age. And those are the friends that you have. And those are how you introduce yourself to people. It's like, hi, I'm Melissa and I'm a dancer, you know? So, yeah. uh, I think that that's really cool. And I just love what you guys are doing here. I think it's really awesome. I got to make one more comment about adaptations. I think uh, as someone said, I was at a talk a couple weeks ago and someone made this brilliant comment and he said, I think we need to actually get away from using the word adaptations because traditionally people have thought, again, it's kind of this universal design concept. I make my lesson plan and then I adapt for this kid and this kid and this kid. And the phrase he used that I thought was so useful to kind of just carry a conversation forward. He said, don't think of it as adaptations, just always plan variations. So when you're doing it, when you're setting up your practice, always have variations in how mm-hmm. kids can participate. And it's not just about the kids with disabilities, right? Sure. Like kids are going to come in with whatever day they're having that day and make a choice about, you know, kind of how they want to participate. And that's healthy for everybody. Yeah. Right. And then if you need to nudge kids, you know, and you don't call them like, here's the hard version and here's the easy <laughs> version. But, you know, if you need to nudge kids back and forth and encourage them to try a different way, that's fine. But I just thought that, wow, yeah, we don't kind of if we get away from adaptations because that feels like extra work. And we start just talking to people about plan your practice with variations. Um, that, that'll be interesting to see. That's awesome. So cool. thanks for thanks. bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I guess, uh, I guess that'll close the show. Uh, thank you again for coming on. If anyone wanted to learn more about the Canucks Autism Network or about what you guys do or how to get involved, where would they go? Uh, CanucksAutism.ca is definitely the best place to get that information. Awesome. Well, uh, I am here with Melissa. Any, any final things before we shut her down? No, I'm looking forward to the next time we get together and talk about inclusion. I can't wait. Well, I'm Kyle Boyle, and typically I end with a joke, but today I'm going to end with reminding everyone that sports is for everyone. Take care. If you like this podcast and want to listen to past or future episodes, you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud under the heading The Fifth Sign. 
We will be posting a link on our website at eimc.sites.olt.ubc.ca and you can also find us on Facebook at EIMCUBC and Twitter with the handle EIMC underscore UBC. If you are interested in joining the movement and coming onto the show, you can follow me and send me a personal message on Twitter at HelloKbo. That's H-E-L-L-O-K-B-O.